Go with me to Ezekiel 37. I'm going to move you so I don't... I believe in you, Brittany. I believe in myself. Ezekiel 37. If you don't know where Ezekiel is, it's like a little bit past the middle. Just so you know. And your Bible app just keeps scrolling. How many of you guys actually use a Bible app and don't have a Bible app? I'm not going to shame you, I'm just asking. How many of you have a Bible app, but don't use a Bible? What if you use both? That's fine. How many of you guys use both? There you go. Cool. How many of you guys just old school paper? There you go. Cool. <laughs> I'm just killing time because you guys are struggling finding this Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37. So we're, we're going to pause the dating series just for tonight, and we're going to talk about Easter. Um, and I, I'm really, I'm excited because as I was studying for Easter, like, I've been raised, I've been, I've been doing this Jesus thing for a long time. Like, I, I say it this way, I said yes to Jesus in the back seat. My mom and dad are here tonight, which is cool. But I said the, the sinner's prayer in the back of my parents' Mercury Sable station wagon at like three years old on the way to a Sunday night service. It was white on the outside and burgundy on the inside, and my mom thought it was like the coolest thing in the whole wide world. She was super proud of it. Funny story about my mom, which is kind of about me, but funny story about my mom. So my parents, we'll put it this way, did not grow up playing sports. We'll just put it that way. My brother and I, extremely competitive and played sports like all through high school. I had just made it onto my first traveling classic basketball team. Like that's how the rankings in Oregon worked, which meant I was kind of like a big deal. Like I had moved past YMCA level into like my jersey was made out of jersey material and not a t-shirt. You know what I mean? Like I was playing actual sports and I was stoked. So I'm playing in my first tournament ever. And I'm shooting free throws to win the game for my team, my first game on this team. It's dead silent in the whole gym. And my mom yells out, Go Petunia Blossom! <laughs> like at the top of her lungs. And at that point, like, I didn't even get the chance to miss the free throw. Like, you have to make that free throw. On top of, I was trying to win the game for my team. So that was one time she did that. The second time she did that, I had made 8th grade varsity, which was like the epitome of cool in 8th grade, right? And shooting free throws to win our district championship. This is two years later. I had made it abundantly clear that my mom was not to do that again. <laughs> shooting free throws, win the district championship, dead silent, and this time it's at my home school. Not at some random basketball tournament. All my friends are there. Dead silent in the gym. Go, Petunia Blossom! But the funny thing is she got halfway out and then covered her mouth like this because she knew she wasn't supposed to do it. But yeah, love my parents. Anyways. <laughs> Has everybody had enough time to get to Ezekiel now? Anybody know where they are? Okay, Ezekiel 1. Uh, 37 verse 1. Ezekiel 37 verse 1. We're going to read just a chunk of scripture and then we'll pull some thoughts out of it and relate it to Easter. So some, some backstory about this. This is a prophecy, all right? This is a vision that Ezekiel the prophet is having that God is trying to communicate something to him about the people of Israel. Let's read. The hand 
of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out of the Spirit of the Lord, and sent me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them and round about, and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. And then let's drop down to verse 11. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. And we are completely cut off. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, Behold, I will open up your grave, and I will cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Verse 13, Then you will know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your grave and caused you to come up out of your graves, and I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I want to I speak to us just real quick on the thought, dead to life. Dead to life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this Easter season. It really is a reminder of the truth of the gospel that we believe in, that you came to bring dead people to life. We pray as we talk around this thought of Easter that we would be aware of the areas in our life that we need you to bring resurrection power to. We thank you for that in your name. Amen. How many of you guys like CSI or like NCIS or... So growing up, I love Law and Order. Like absolutely love Law and Order. And it is so funny to me. Like my dad and I would sit down like TNT and TBS just constantly do Law and Order and Law and Order SVU, right? And growing up, my dad and I would sit downstairs and switch back and forth between Sports Center and Law and Order. And every Law & Order episode opens up with a random person finding some sort of a dead body. Generally, they're like walking out of a bar or someone's on a jog, right? Like I saw a meme the other day that said, if my body is found on a jogging trail, no, I was killed somewhere else and taken there. You know what I mean? And it's like, and it's just these random, like this stupid banter back and forth and then someone screams really loud, oh my God. There's a dead person. And then they always show a portion of the body. Or like on CSI, you know, it's like all about the crime and the forensics behind it. And we're like, we are somewhat forensic experts now just because we've watched CSI, right? Like I know from watching Law & Order, oh, if that bug is hanging out, then that means he's been dead for like two weeks now, right? Oh, dumpster. They're not going to be able to help tell how long he's been gone or like on CSI oh the the air is still in the room and it doesn't smell bad when they walk in this is fresh this is brand new the blood's like we're now experts right I'm trying to put myself in this case where Ezekiel is just in the middle of a dream and now he's just in this valley of dry bones and the idea behind it is these aren't just like oh they've been dead for a couple weeks this is like they have been dead and dry. They're like D-E-E dead. Like they're just absolutely gone. There is no hope. It's not like, oh, this guy might bounce back. It's not even like we may find the killer. It's like this has been gone and dead for a long time. 
But it's interesting that what God is trying to describe in this moment, if you look at it through the lens of the Jewish people, what he is describing right now is what happened leading up to Easter. See, we have to remember this Easter time, when we think about the three days of Jesus dying and then being resurrected, when we, when we think about that time, for us three days is like, hey, I can diet for that long successfully. Or I cannot swear for that long. I can keep my New Year's resolution for three days. Like, I know I can get it. For three days for us is a short vacation that is somewhat on budget. Three days for us is how long we can make our paycheck last till we get paid again. But we have to remember that those three days in this moment, in the moment of Easter, would have been a whole lot longer than just three days. And we, we have to remember, too, that this idea of Jesus coming and, and the Jesus that they put on the cross, see, we have hindsight. We know the full story. But the people living out the story when this happened, those three days would have been pretty dry. They would have watched literally what they believed to be the hope of Israel in that moment. And not just the hope of Israel, they're going to put us back on the map, but the hope that Jesus would come and conquer Rome and set Israel free. I mean, three days was long enough that Peter, after watching Jesus pass away, goes back fishing and walks away from the call of God that just a couple chapters before, he was standing with Jesus saying, I would never deny you. Three days is long enough that we see the church at that time begin to crumble. Three days is long enough that we see most of the apostles, the 12 that traveled with Jesus, we see most of them go back to their original vocation. Three days is long enough that they say, in essence, like in Ezekiel 37, our hope has been and the interesting thing about these two pa this, this passage of scripture and then this time and place in the New Testament is I think we relate to this a whole lot more than we realize. That there is these things in us, whether it's a dream that we had that even this early in life has already died. And it's caused an area in our life to dry up and become dead. Whether it's a failure or a mistake that we made that has caused us to believe that our future is bleak and grim and things have dried up and now we're dead. Whether it's this season of separation that feels like from God and we haven't felt him or his presence and now we're dried up and dead. And I'm trying to put myself in a believer's shoes in those three days between when Jesus dies on the cross and when he rises again. Because everything those people had had been put into a person, into Jesus. I mean, can you imagine being Peter, giving up three years of your life and then thinking, I missed it? I know what it's like to be a believer and feel like in a season of my life, was staying pure, following the rules, doing devotions, living out this life, was it worth it? Was it was it really worth all the work I put in because I'm feeling pretty dry and pretty dead right now. But I love this Ezekiel passion passage because 
as God is explaining it, he starts talking about, no, the reason you are dry is because you've stopped believing and become disconnected from your hope. And the power of Easter is this reminder that now hope for us is eternal. Now victory for us is permanent. Now failure for us isn't fatal. Why? Because Jesus rose again. You, you have to understand, like, if, if Jesus hadn't rose, none of us would be in this building claiming to believe in Jesus. The fact that Jesus rose changes the power of the gospel. And a lot of us, unfortunately, I think, encounter a Jesus, and the way we treat him is like he's still in the grave. And we do not engage in the resurrection power and grace and mercy that we find because Jesus rose. A lot of us are dry and in a valley, cut off from hope. And the words that God uses explaining this to Ezekiel is, I will call you out of your grave and I will bring you back to life. The resurrection power of Jesus that we see at Easter is this reminder that there is no area in my life that is dead that has to stay that way. The resurrection power of Jesus, it's not just that bad people become good. That's not the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is that God and Jesus can take dead things and bring them to life. And a lot of us are living life like Jesus is still in the tomb defeated and stuck and lacking hope instead of engaging the victorious power of Jesus. So I want to give us just three things that Jesus resurrecting means. First one is this, we've talked about the resurrected Jesus means that I have hope. I love this passage of scripture. Hebrews 6.19 puts it this way. We have this hope, this hope that comes from Jesus being resurrected as an anchor for our soul. How many of you guys have ever been on a boat in a storm? Anybody? Okay. The one time my mom went camping with me and my dad and my brother, we were in Astoria, Oregon, and we showed up and we were in the tent that we've gone camping in for years, which was also the tent my dad went camping in for years, which in the Northwest when it rains is not a good idea because there were holes in the tent. And we solved that by just putting a tarp on top of the tent. No more holes, right? Well, anyways, we go camping and monsoon opens up. My mom takes one look at it and goes, we will be staying in a hotel tonight. And my dad, like a good husband, said, yes, we are. So, but we still went fishing and we're in the, we're in the bay in Astoria. And it's actually one of the most dangerous things of water in the Northwest. And there were three to five foot swells, which isn't big if you're in a boat that actually can handle that. We were in like a flat bottom, Aluma weld fishing boat. And like, we're literally hitting the water hard enough, I'm convinced that the hull is just going to snap in half. And life can feel like that at times, right? Life can feel like we're just battered and rushed back and forth and getting beat up. And yet we have to remember that hope that we have now because Jesus rose is not dependent on circumstance, but it's dependent on the fact that he rose. It is bigger than where we're sitting. 
It is bigger than my perspective. It is bigger than circumstance. Why? Because Jesus rose. That should be the dominant difference between us and our friends that don't believe in Jesus. Is in the midst of trial and tribulation, we look at everything through the lens of hope. That it is not done yet. It is not over yet. The best is still yet to come. I get that I have the diagnosis. The best is still yet to come. I get that my parents are walking through. The best is still yet to come. I get that I lost a job. I get that I failed the class. The best is still yet to come. Because Jesus rose. The second one is this. Because Jesus rose, I have victory. I have victory. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57, it says, Oh, death. Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Romans 8 puts it this way, If God is for us, then who can be against us? We have to remember that in the things that we're fighting within ourselves, the thing that keeps you up at night, the thing that we don't want anyone to know about, the thing that runs in our family and is a generational thing, the thing that I'm hiding from, we have to remember that because Jesus rose, we have victory over sin. Because Jesus rose, I can change. And this, this is where I think we leave Jesus in the grave. We put Jesus back in the grave when we make statements like, well, that's just who I am. That's how it has always been. I guess this is just my lot in life. We put Jesus back in the grave and become dry bones in a valley when we do not remember that we are victorious because Jesus rose again. The last one is this. And, and I think this is the one that's most powerful for us in our age group. Because Jesus rose, because Jesus rose, failure is not fatal. Because Jesus rose, failure is not fatal. Romans 8, 31 through 34 puts it this way. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, then who is against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with Jesus freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Rather, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Paul is making this theological case that basically says this. If there's anyone in the world other than a cell phone, that has the right to declare that it's over. If there's anyone who has the legal right to declare that it's over, it's Jesus. Why? Because he purchased me and my life on the cross. If anyone has the right to say it's over for you, you have failed, you might as well pack it in. It's Jesus. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus sits at the right hand of God, standing up for us 
on our behalf. So what's that mean? It means whoever your toughest critic is, your parents, your employer, your boss, your family, your brother, your sister, your friend, for a lot of us, ourselves, no one gets to say that it's over. No one gets to say that mistake, that decision, that thing you did. No one gets to say that that's it. No one gets to say you're not bouncing back from that. And a lot of us, unfortunately, put Jesus back in the grave because of the opinion we allow others to have of us and allow us to have of us. A lot of us allow the internal monologue in our head and the things that people are speaking over us to be the final say in our outlook on life. I can't believe you did that. That is who you are. And when we believe it, we put Jesus back in the grave. But when we say, no, that is something I did, but it is not who I am. And by the grace of God, I can change and grow into who he has called me to be. We take Jesus out of the grave. We reconnect to our hope. And we become the type of people that God can use to change the world. I want to be a believer, a follower of Jesus that doesn't leave Jesus in the grave. But engages in him in the way that he intended us to because he rose again. And if Brittany and Mitch come up, we're going to sing a couple songs real quick. I'm excited about it.